All right, on today's episode of Chalk Talk, we are gonna probably take a dive in one of the tougher subjects we've set uh, Coach Brez to the task too, which is eccentric training. Um, there's a lot to unpack here. We're gonna do our very best in this episode of Chalk Talk. But as you know, this is always just the start to a conversation. Reach out with more questions. We would love to follow up with more info, specifics, things like that. Go to platform.com, that's plt4m.com to check all of those different things out. Reach out to us, hit us up. We're always looking to have more conversations in the world of strength and conditioning. Coach Brez, ready to go? Uh, I think so. As ready as you'll ever be. <laughs> this is Chalk Talk presented by Platform. Let's go. All right, so we are gonna jump into eccentric training and gonna give a shout out to Sam Cleveland, one of our team members here. We always are looking for different topics and we hear from coaches and uh, Sam Cleveland, one of the younger bucks getting into the world of platform, was wondering about eccentric training. Yep. Um, so shout out to him. He's uh, off hard at work over there somewhere. <laughs> Before we jump in, cause there is a whole load of things we could go in directions and kind of toss up questions I would give you. And usually I try to give you a leading one and then you want to preface Thank it with you. something. I'll let you preface it before I even ask a question. Sure. Um, yeah. So I do want to say that this uh, certainly has been the most difficult uh, topic for me to prep for um, from this kind of, you know, educational standpoint that we try to uh, approach some of these topics training wise. Um, uh, during the podcast. And I, the reason I say that is I just want to make sure I, I note that one, um, you know, take this all with a, a grain of salt and try to think about the, you know, all of the, the facts that we lay out versus, you know, little nuanced kind of tidbits that say like, if you do this, then this, so I'm going to go do it. Yeah. Do don't take the sound bite, um, take the full picture. Right. And then secondly, I had more difficulty this week on the, the topic of eccentric training and its adaptation and results, non-results, myths, and uh, myth-busting than I've ever had because I found data and qualified opinion that would literally compare and contrast directly with one another on sure. almost every element that we'll get into. Yep. So I, I, I'm going to do my best to summarize what I would argue are the things that you can agree on as true. And I'm going to do my best to then also highlight where things may or may not be really solidified or cemented in stone because I don't necessarily know that uh, this one is where I feel comfortable saying like, this is fact this is what you should believe yeah. and this is never going to change. No, and that's fair. A lot of times we try to give like some direction for coaches because that's mm -hmm. what this podcast is intended to do. Not everyone we're going to land on a clear definitive like right. throw this out, go by this, you yes. know, invest all your energy and passion in whatever. So, I think then with that caveat in mind, we'll dive in and I think probably the best place to start is just quickly or not, maybe not so quickly in, in your world, I'll try defining just not the training, like, oh, what's eccentric training, you know, those types of things, but just like 
eccentric versus concentric in its most like well, simple? Yeah, fair, great question. Because um, I took this for granted back in the day when I first started training high school athletes. When I'd say, "Okay, we're going to be doing the you know eccentric bench today," yeah, and kids are looking at me like, "What in the hell are you even talking yeah, yeah. about?" Because the word is. Um, only used really um, in this training environment and uh, most people don't know what it means. So let's define what eccentric even is. Um, movement um, and muscular contraction um, can be defined by call it three different types of uh, muscular contraction. So concentric that you just mentioned is when a muscle is actively shortening. So let's dive right into an example. Bicep curl, the muscle of your bicep is shortening as you bring the fist up to your shoulder. Mm -hmm. So this movement is the concentric part of a bicep curl and this is your bicep moving concentrically. Sure. Okay. Eccentric, think of the literal opposite is when the muscle is actively lengthening. What that means is it is applying force while lengthening, mm -hmm. AKA you are lowering a load or a force to the floor in that same bicep curl example. Yep, and for those listening, you're missing out oh, on- Oh, sorry, yes, my bicep Co curl. Coach Brad's flexing his bicep, which is why he picked that example, but- That's damn straight. <laughs> Keep going there, I'll, I'll let you keep running. Sure, so concentric, think actively shortening, AKA the uh, lift phase yep. of any movement. Um, and eccentric is the lowering, or it's often very frequently um, described as the negative. The lowering, the, the negative, the down swing, the, um, you know, the reverse of that lift phase, it's bringing it back to where you started. Uh, also worth noting though that uh, eccentric and concentric are two of three. There is isometric. Yep. Um, you Which is hold, that's more of like you're thinking hold, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you probably hear isometric training a lot with like planks and wall sits and things like that. Yeah. We're talking about when muscles are held at a fixed length. Mm -hmm. So they are on, but they are held at a fixed length. The one just, uh, you know, kind of side note, Passive stretching is essentially its own, uh, you know, element of movement as well, and it's when a muscle is not actively contracting or, or creating force, but it is being stretched, aka lengthened. Sure. So there is lengthening that exists that's not eccentric. Okay, if that makes sense. Yep, that's fair. Um, so we have eccentric lowering, concentric lifting, isometric pausing at any given point, top, middle, bottom, and then obviously stretching is different. Yeah, for sure. And that's in its most kind of textbook definition, um, probably what you would see in in terms of like the the strength and conditioning textbooks of the world of the most basics. But sure. then I think I get that at its most literal sense, its most basic sense. But then we start. We were talking movements, now we're gonna get into the training, right? And mm -hmm. so the first place I go, or what we hear all the time, and, and you see it all over the place, is tempo training. Yep. Like that's the immediate, like you're, you know, are you going six second down, a three second pause? There's all of these like different like tempos that we start sure. to like layer in, and that's where I always go when we start to talk about maybe eccentric training. So let's go now start to unpack that part of it. Yeah, no good. Um, I'm glad you said that because I think tempo training really is the next step in explaining or getting to what is eccentric training, what's it for, how can it be used, um, and where, what is it gonna gain you? Um, because tempo training 
you know, encompasses all of the different elements of movement within the gym. So you, you got to think about tempo training as the combination of controlled speed and load through any given moment. Um, and the way that we choose to move through a complete movement pattern is not always, doesn't always have to be the same. So yeah. what we say by tempo training is affecting and changing what you are doing with load at what speed throughout different elements of a movement. So the reason I, I say that is tempo training is generally denoted by four numbers. You've probably seen this before, like four zero X one. Yeah. Like perform your squat in that tempo. Um, the way that that works is the first number when you're looking at tempo training, and I'm gonna be very specific and literal with this because this is important to understand so that everybody's on the same common you know, sense of understanding of how to prescribe tempo training and discuss it right now, sure. is the first number is always the lowering, AKA the eccentric phase of the lift. So let's take the back, uh, actually let's go bench press. If you are performing the bench press, once that bar is lifted out of the rack, the first part of that movement is the negative AK lowering of the load to the That'd chest. That'd be the first number. And that'll be the first number. So if it says four, you're actually looking for a four second controlled descent that keeps movement velocity the same. Yeah. So the time's what's changing. The velocity is constant through the movement so that you have four seconds of a negative. Sure. If then the, let's say it's four, one, two, X, something that you might see. The one then represents the second number is always related to the pause at the bottom of the lift, AKA the, um, think of it as a sticking point or the transition point between lowering and lifting. Mm -hmm. So in a bench press, that's when the bar is on your chest. Yep. So if we say one, that means at the bottom, you're going to pause. Sure. All right. Generally speaking in most lifting, um, scenarios, that's going to be a zero because we're actually gonna use the stretch shortening cycle, AKA we're gonna load via negative and then explode via concentric. But if we utilize a isometric hold at the bottom, yeah. all right, that is an element of training that you might utilize to um, teach strength through sticking points or control of movement, et cetera. Yeah, and, and I, I see it a lot more often, we're using the bench example, but like in squatting. Squatting is probably Hold the fair. bottom, yep. feel it. Yep. Like you're talking about, like you talked about with wall sits and everything else, that isometric, okay, I'm braced at the bottom almost. Yeah. Now I have to get out. Absolutely. Yeah. So the isometric holds at the bottom of a lift um, are frequent, although we'll, we'll mention that they're also used at the top. So you have the lowering, which is your first number. You have the transition point between lowering and lifting, which is your second number, which means by definition, your third number is always uh, the time you will take to lift the weight. Um, this can be one second. It can be X, which means as fast as possible. Yep. It can mean um, a, a four second raise. Generally speaking, you don't see a lot of slow concentric. Um, that's not to say that that uh, isn't a very viable option, but you have eccentric followed by the, the pause, AKA transition period. If there is no pause, the lift. And then there's also a fourth number, which is the top of a lift, AKA the transition between raising and then moving into the next rep, AKA next lowering rep. again. Um, and so you have four numbers 
that will be written and those are by seconds and X means as fast as possible. A zero means it just does not exist. Don't stop. It's usually for just your transition periods. Like don't stop at the bottom and don't stop at the top. Just keep moving. Yeah. Um, and that's really important to understand because that's where we start to move into training specific elements of a movement. Sure. Whereas, you know, generally speaking, and I think this is important to mention, if you're just moving with control, you're learning a movement, you don't necessarily need to specifically think about seconds down, seconds at the bottom, seconds up, seconds in between reps. I think when you first start out with new athletes, can you use slow tempos to teach you know, body awareness and movement, et cetera? Sure, and, and that's, Absolutely. I, I hate to bounce around on examples, but like, yeah, go ahead. Th that's where I would say like, I'm not doing tempo training, but when I'm, going through position one, position two, position three of like a deadlift or like getting the barbell from the ground up to your oh, yeah. waist. Like that to me, I'm not saying like we're gonna one 1,000, two 1,000, but I'm gonna make you hold each yes. one for almost like in my own mind two seconds so they can feel it. Yep. And that's where you're saying is the difference of like yes. the true tempo training versus like we want you to get familiar with where you are and like mm -hmm. do those mental check-ins that we've talked about on other episodes. Yeah, I'd argue that most people actually already employ to a degree tempo training even if they've never prescribed numbers for that exact reason. Yeah. When you're teaching a movement, it's very useful to do things slow and in controlled, uh, most specifically with eccentric and isometric, less so with the concentric because yeah. concentric essentially takes care of itself and oftentimes we're actually looking for you to do it with some sort of speed, aka that power development that we talk about. Um, we're not looking for you to just slowly press something off your chest. We're yeah, looking, yeah. hey, want you to press, be strong, get to the top. Sure. But everything else, we actually do say, hey, I want to see controlled, slow tempo on the way down. I want to see you control it at the bottom. Uh, when we teach air squat, what do we generally do? We don't have an athlete for the first time ever just go down up. We say, okay, we're going to work your way down. Can we hold this position? Yeah. Right. Because we just want to teach what does the movement feel like? What do those different elements um, require coordination-wise? Those are all things that we do on a regular basis. Could you do that in a more formal capacity? Say, when I teach a barbell back squat, could I employ tempo training yep. to teach movement, teach some of the coordination, give athletes own awareness of the movement under load? Absolutely, I think that's a very valuable piece of tempo training. When we get into the rest of this conversation via eccentric training, mm -hmm. we're talking about a step beyond that. We're okay. not just talking about controlling a movement. We're talking about using very specific tempo and loading to incite very specific adaptation. Okay. So tempo training is important to understand because it's very much what drives everything that we're going to talk about because you have to understand like what part of the movement are you focused on Yeah. and what is your tempo and everything else. Yeah. But tempo training doesn't require crazy levels of experience and intensity if you're gonna go high levels of intensity for eccentric training, which was what we're really gonna dive into, you should have experience. Yep. So I wanna make sure, yeah, you can absolutely use tempo training with new athletes. But maybe what we talk about with regards to eccentric training is not. Yeah, and I am gonna pause us there because that's where we're gonna spend the second half of the episode mm -hmm. and really start to get into like what people are looking for, like you talked about, using eccentric training yeah. for like specific 
re results. Yeah, what's, um, what's the point? Why would you do it? Yeah, so, might? so let's take a quick pause because I think that's a really great stopping point. We described kind of the basics of the different uh, movements, got into like tempo training, and then we're gonna get really into kind of like the actual reasons behind it, if that sounds good. Sure. Okay, cool. All right, before we jump back into the second half of this episode, uh, we're just taking a quick break. As you could probably hear, we had about uh, a million sounds in the background. Apologies, we were doing a little construction and you <laughs> caught us at the best point. They have stepped out now, they might come back in, but bear with us as we are navigating this good topic. Um, we're gonna jump back in. Before we do, as always, go check out platform.com. That's plt4m.com. And with that, we'll jump back into the second half of the show. All right, so we left off in kind of saying we we're gonna start talking about really that like eccentric training as it serves different purposes. And I don't wanna say is it good, bad, or ugly because I think people are using it for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. So in your research and as you were diving through as to like why someone might do eccentric training or what they're looking for or not looking for in it, like what are some of those like more frequently used eccentrics, if there are some. I don't know if that's yeah, what you found or not. Yeah, well, and, th and this is where it's gonna get murky, so, so bear with me. Essentially, there are a, a number of common beliefs that are attached to eccentric training. The issue is some of them aren't necessarily accurate, and some of them are based on the idea that eccentric training is one thing when in reality it might really be another. Mm -hmm. So we just spent a lot of time talking about tempo training and it's a good lead into what eccentric training is, but most people think of eccentric training and uh, basically they generally will equate it to something that we've thrown around before of time under tension. So they say, hey, if I just go slow, I'm going to increase time, uh, time under tension in my movement, which means you know, greater essentially work done mm -hmm. and greater work done is going to lead to most frequently it's associated with uh, hypertrophy, muscle mass gain. So they, oh, I want to get big. I'm going to do a lot of slow movements, especially focused on slow eccentric movement. The unique thing though, is that tempo training, just going really slow in a movement does not actually equate to any sort of muscular gain. If you equate volume of work done in a given lift, you could do it concentrically or eccentrically, the result is the same. Mm -hmm. So that I'm pretty clear on that the, the research is more or less uniform that just slowing your movement of your, your slowing the speed of your movement down is not going to incite growth, gain, etc. on its own, you might just elevate the total amount of work done, which is going to incite growth. We've talked about that before and how hypertrophy works. Yeah. But a lot of people think that eccentric training is I'm going to create more muscle damage by going slow and therefore I'm going to get bigger. When in reality, you can just do more work and get bigger the exact same way. It doesn't have to be eccentric. Yeah, you can do it a, a different way. But there is absolutely truth to muscle damage is higher when focused on 
eccentric training and if you do loaded like maximal or super maximal ex eccentric training which we'll talk about maybe more specifically mm -hmm. you can actually induce greater total strength or power gains and this whole hypertrophy side of things that most people are i think using it for isn't even really part of the equation yeah so let's separate maybe the two things sure and that kind of stems a question just in my mind of like and i don't know if it's even we can even answer it or not of like is there any major difference between saying like or what is the difference in saying like all right if you did five reps at 80 percent just moving the bar because you're doing the five reps at 80 percent i'll pick back squat versus five reps of that like three second tempo or six second tempo at that same 80%. Like, is there like a noticeable difference or is there like, so, am I just... So here's, the, here's that, that exact, great question. Because this is where it gets a little murky is, oh, well, hey, if I can do five at 80, uh, then if I do it slower, I've increased my time under tension and yeah. I've increased my work. Yeah. Yeah. You, that is an absolutely proper mathematical equation. <laughs> But let me ask you a question. If you can do five reps at 80% for a set, maybe five, set, five sets of five reps at 80% and you're like, that's what gets me my strength gains because it challenges me and I'm at my, you, you can't progress unless you're at that kind of like limit, right? Like mm -hmm. if you're working at your ability level. How in the world do you think you can also do Just jack three second up. pauses or three second negatives at the exact same weight, the exact same reps? We all know this. If I say, hey, Doug, I know your back squat is 200. What maximal weight do you think you could do a three second negative on? Not 200. No. <laughs> right. right. So is that the assumption that if you just add in a long duration eccentric lowering of a lift, you're gonna gain more work done, you, there's a trade-off. And this is where the, the time under tension myth, and this is the one thing that I did notice is that's been basically debunked. And it's not that there's a true myth of if time under tension increases, you gain muscle mass. Yeah, but the issue is you have to equate for actual work done. You can't yeah. just assume that because you spent more time in a lift, you've gained more out of it because to, to take more time in a lift, to do a squat very, very slow, either in the eccentric or isometric portion of the lift, yeah. means you have to uh, also adjust what? Right, the weight, you'd the have to weight, move it down. Which means your total work done, the volume, right? Your intensity times reps times time, essentially, the equation is bigger, and if one goes up, the other is going to go down. Yeah, we talk about the levers all the time, and, and that's totally fair because I have done um, phases of eccentric style training, or maybe I'll say tempo style training, where it was yep. that like six second lower, and I just remember being like, it was right after we had maxed out, so the number was higher, and I'm like, oh my god, like this is brutal. Yes. I can't. I, I physically had a really tough time doing it. Uh, well, and so it had to bring my numbers down. Bring your numbers down, right? So, and, and this is where I want to make the very, uh, very significant kind of uh, demarcation between tempo training. Are there reasons to say we're going to do less weight, but we're going to focus on the eccentric portion? Yes, because as we talked about, it's almost just like the the juiced up version of why you would do it with an empty barbell and a new athlete. 
you can teach essentially greater stability because you're at maybe maybe your squat might not get quote unquote stronger um, because of six seconds, but the rest of your body is requiring greater stability, control, sure. proprioception. Yep. We do we see a lot of people use the isometric pause at the bottom to work one, we're gonna stop your stretch shortening cycle and we're gonna focus on the ability to to contract after no movement. We're gonna sit you at the bottom and then you gotta move up. Are you gonna just, by doing that, do you create more muscle mass and strength? No, but it might be a nice tool that allows you to work strength in your normal lift, if you will. Yeah, and- So tempo training certainly can be useful. Sure. But what people attach to it, from an eccentric standpoint, we need to kind of separate and look at what can you do eccentrically that applies to maybe unique gain. Yeah. So, and I think that's where I want to kind of go because you had a lot of notes in, in the different buckets of like, am I, when I'm doing that unique gain, is it happening for strength? Is it happening for muscle gain? Is it happening for, you made mention to like just overall stability and things like that. Like there are a lot of those different buckets. Mm -hmm. So where, where did you kind of end up finding you know, you're serving this bucket. Yeah. Or was it just, again, just a total kind of convoluted, no clear? No, I, I think I've come up with some some basic summaries. And I think I'll, I'll start with a summation of what we just talked about, where most people use slow, eccentric training to induce hypertrophy. Mm -hmm. Because the belief is the greater time under tension, quote unquote, the greater muscle damage, the greater hypertrophy. But everywhere I looked essentially debunks all of those things. There are reasons to do that slow, under, you know, lower intensity movement. But one, it doesn't in and of itself create induced muscle damage. It's, it's work times, you know, we're, we're talking about total work is the main, main driver of that. So it by itself doesn't change anything. And then I'd also say there are a lot of people now that realize muscle damage which is greater during eccentric training. Like that is more or less agreed upon. Muscle damage actually doesn't have a role to play necessarily in hypertrophy. You don't need muscle damage to incite hypertrophy. Mm -hmm. A lot of people just would say, well, no, you know, I get crazy sore, AKA more muscle damage when I do eccentrics, which means I'm obviously inciting greater hypertrophy. That, no. That's, that's my conclusion is that does not equate. If you do more work, you can incite theoretically more damage, but more importantly, hypertrophy. But eccentric training isn't necessarily going to induce it, induce hypertrophy. Yeah. Hypertrophy has basically been proven to say if you do the same amount of work concentrically or eccentrically, it's going to be the same. But that's not to say that using a five-second negative pull-up would be a great way to build the ability of an athlete to get their first pull-up because you only have to go from the top down. Right. Right. So it's a, it's a, it's a nice way to increase your, your work capacity yep. um, or your total work done, which can lead to hypertrophy and strengthening. Okay. So everybody believes eccentric training, slow eccentric training is more muscle damage, which is both a positive and a negative. I would say the positive doesn't really necessarily exist because greater muscle damage doesn't necessarily mean hypertrophy. And it doesn't, you don't need damage for hypertrophy and nor does this particular type lead to guaranteed hypertrophy. There are studies that say you get better muscle gain effect while focusing on eccentrics, but 
most people would argue that's because you've just increased your total work. You could do the same thing with concentric yep. or isometric. Mm -hmm. The flip side of that is something that I think is also a conclusion though that you need to be careful with eccentric training because it's also proven that if you're going to focus on the lengthening of muscle in your training, aka eccentrics, you will lead, especially in inexperienced athletes, to greater damage, which requires greater recovery. So if you're going to employ eccentrics, they need to be a bit sparing and you need to account for recovery. So yep. if you're going to do five sets of five, five second negatives in your pull-ups, those athletes are going to be very, very sore. Mm -hmm. You need to prepare proper recovery mechanisms in that same program. Okay, maybe you don't do pulling for three days because you've done that. Right. Now, can you find reasons to do so? Like I said, yes. Like if you've got athletes that you need to build the ability to do a real pull-up and those, that's the best way to get work done, great. But you need to then think, okay, if we've stressed ourselves that much, we've got to flip the script and also make sure we're not going to then go do max strict pull-ups yeah. two days later. Yeah, and again, like we're more so talking about probably some of like the higher level or more advanced. Well, but so, the, or, and this is where is it, it gets a bit murky again because pull-up, for example, is body weight. Yeah. And we might say, hey, we're struggling to get this athlete to do a full pull-up, but I can get them up on a bar, which is one, a benefit to have an actual pull-up bar versus you know all the scaling modifications that you can do. Then we're gonna do something where controlled negatives because that's going to increase their ability to actually get through this range of motion with stability and control and then potential strength gain. And they don't actually have to pull themselves back up so we're not limiting their ability to perform pull-up work yep. because they can't do a pull-up. So negatives might be a really nice way for a new athlete to learn pull-ups. But again, like I said, because you're focusing on eccentric, you need to understand the, the kind of the, the flip side of that, which is almost every case of rhabdo ever uh, recorded is mostly because of overexposure to the loaded eccentric movement that you're unaware of yeah. or unready for. So even in trained athletes, they say, we're gonna talk about maybe this next level of eccentric training. If you're gonna load up an eccentric, you really need to allow for recovery because it does induce more muscle damage. You might have reasons to do so, yeah, but you got to be careful. No, it's a good point. I mean, you a lot of times rhabdo, and you hear that, and you think, you know, CrossFit style training or anything else like that. And a lot of times, it's been people have associated it to like the pull up. It's so like, that's CrossFit gets that bad rap because of rhabdo, but it's mostly because of athletes not thinking about what they're actually demanding of as they're lowering their body during yeah. the lowering of movement. Um, because it is so much more taxing from a muscular damage standpoint. Right. And it, you can hit the point of negative return without realizing it. Sure. So you got to monitor your dose of eccentric loaded movement, and you need to also incite proper recovery over the next days and weeks. There are, I've seen some protocols that say, like, for this type of eccentric training, like, once every two weeks. Okay. Because you need to, you need to recover. So... Again, I'm not gonna prescribe, hey coach, this is how you should do eccentric training and when, and then this is how frequently. Yeah. Because I think there's too many uh, moving parts there. But just bear in mind that while we'll talk about, believe it or not, we haven't gotten to it yet, the po potential positives for certain types of eccentric training, there are considerations you need to think about. So you shouldn't just go do nothing but eccentric training because it does, 
carry some, call it risks, Fair. or maybe just considerations. Fair. And so, believe it or not, I'm going to try to push us towards the finish line. Okay. But why don't we tap into some of the positive stuff that you found of like the yep. why you might do it or why it, it has that benefit to it, and then we'll kind of clean up any loose ends that we have to. Cool. I think I'll try it this way, and hopefully this works. The one thing that is essentially undisputed is that you are stronger eccentrically than you are concentrically. What that means is you can lower a far greater weight than you can with control. Yep. Obviously, you can lower any weight you want with gravity very quickly, <laughs> but you can lower a weight with, uh, by applying force at far greater values than you can lift one. Sure. So we all know if I asked you to, if you didn't care about getting the weight back up, you could squat negatively a greater load than you could lift one through the full movement. Push it off. It's yeah. actually when they, I know specifically bench is 175% of your max bench is your max negative bench. Now that alone is like, yeah, no kidding. But what does that matter? Um, the, I think the significant element there is that can be used in very specific targeted ways to is incite kind of unique and cool adaptations. Again, maybe for more experienced athletes, but if you think about that, what does that allow you to do? If you focus on, and if you only perform eccentric movements, you can perform them at supra maximal loading, AKA your one rep max back squat is again, let's say 200. You can do eccentric training within the back squat yeah. at 300 plus pounds. And if you are able to maybe even only in one part of the movement, AKA the negative or the lowering, but if you are able to go ahead and load it up way heavier, you are actually going to create element for potential growth in your max power, your max strength. Yeah. Um, and people do argue that you need to do some of that because I don't know that I necessarily agree with this, but they would say if you're that much stronger and you're eccentric, then normal lifting, if you never do eccentric, would say you are never loading appropriately your eccentric ability. Yeah. Right. So if, if I can squat only 200, but my eccentric part of the squat could handle 300 plus, if I never hit 300 plus, I've maybe left something on the table. Hard for me necessarily to say that's a hundred percent accurate because if you can't lift the weight back up, then is focusing on something that's twice as heavy just for the lowering missing? No. Could you then maybe use it to promote additional adaptation and growth. Yes. That's I think up for maybe personal opinion or debate. Yeah. And I think a lot of times that one stems towards personal opinion. I had a, uh, one of my younger guys on my team ask me like, Hey, is there merit or is there value to like putting a heavier weight on the bar and just lowering it or holding at the top, even talking mm -hmm. isometric and in the most <laughs> basic simplest you know freshman trying to figure out lifting and he's into it and excited is like is this going to help me learn how to lift heavier weights because I'm, I'm letting my body get used to it and it's like that's the purest most basic form of it but it's what a lot of people th i think think of is like if i can just lower this heavier weight than i'm used to then when i go back to like the, the lower weight that I want to get down and up it's going to feel easier or i'm going to be yeah. able to do it well i mean and and don't don't completely underestimate or devalue the value of that neurological component where 
yeah, if, if you're somebody that's experienced and you're like, I'm going for a heavy weight today, maybe I'll go slightly heavier than that. And on a back squat, we used to program actually the app platform. This is, we've kind of pulled it back. We used to program heavy walkouts in a back squat. Yeah. So you take it off the bar. Your squat might it. be 315. I might say, Hey, 335, you're going to stand that thing up, walk it back out, walk it back in. Yeah. It's like swinging. I mean, it's not, but I, I equate it to swinging a baseball bat with a donut. Right. If there is some element of kind of the mental game, yeah. there is some physiological reasons for the, why the mental game does work. Now, again, is it necessarily like should a freshman that's trying to establish their first ever bench max? Right. And we had that conversation. Right. And then, you know what? But look, that's, it's a good question because yeah. at least you then open the door and say, hey, if you were a senior and you're trying to hit your best ever PR, I might say, hey, you know what? When you warm your way up, warm above it, bring that thing out, load yourself up, lock it out, pull it back, never having lifted it. Maybe we eke out an extra two pounds. Yeah. But we're not there yet. But we're not there yet. Um, so let me, let, me, yeah, uh, let me get us back on track. That was my own tangent that I let us get down. So yep. let's go back to the positives because I am going to try to get us to the finish line here. Yeah. In terms of any others that you want to touch on, anything else as we are starting to wrap up that we haven't hit on yet. I know it's a huge subject. We probably won't get to every little detail. And when we stop the recording, it'll go, I missed I know. something. Well, but so, where are we going? Yeah. So just let's summarize the benefits then. If we know that we can load up an eccentric movement, what are the benefits of doing so? Um, you can build greater uh, strength because you are lifting at super maximal loading. Yep. Right. Uh, you can induce intelligently hypertrophy, AKA muscle gain, because if you can load super, super maximally, theoretically, you might be able to create more work done in a shorter amount of time. Again, that's not to say just load up a, you know, 400 pound deadlift, even if you can't do a deadlift at 200 and just do the lowering portion to strengthen your hamstrings. But there are certain elements uh, of execution there that might, that might be useful. Also very interesting is that you can build uh, greater joint, call it mobility, flexibility, or stability. Um, they've proven that like eccentric training, really slow or heavy loading of a squat will actually improve maybe range of motion yep. within your squat pattern. It might improve connective tissue strength. And that kind of goes back to where we started, you know, in terms yep. of like feeling the different spots out or being able to move through that. Yeah, the one thing that I've, I've seen consistently now, whether or not the application is the same thing as the summary statement of data, but they've proven that if you focus on eccentric training, you can significantly, I'm not saying 100%, but you can change rate of injury because of the connective tissue, the ability to generate, apply, and then use force within muscles, tendons, yep. joints, et cetera. Sure. Um, and I think worth noting is that you're already doing a lot of those things in your training. Like I said, tempo training, you're probably doing with new athletes anyway, without realizing it. Eccentric training exists every single day. It, you don't have to only do eccentric to get benefit from eccentric training. For example, the eccentric exists in the squat every time you squat. Right, same as bench. So if you say, hey, athletes, every time we ever squat, it's always going to be a two-second negative. Theoretically, you're doing, to some degree, eccentric training. Because anyway. you're thinking about the control. Yeah, because I've never seen a coach say, hey, I want you to get down as fast as possible. Actually, I take that back. I have seen that. There's 
that's a whole different discussion. Um, but there is eccentric training already happening. Every time you catch a clean, what are you doing? You're actually trying to decelerate and eccentrically slow the load. Yep. Right? Every time you land a plyometric is eccentric training. So you're already doing it in a number of different ways. You don't necessarily have to say, okay, how do I inject a whole bunch of extra eccentric training? Can you find ways to add eccentric training for reasons of maybe you know, max strength and power with athletes that you trust to load supra-maximally? Supra yeah. means above your maximal mobility. Um, and so there are certainly reasons. It's the reason that triphasic training exists. We probably, I'm surprised we didn't get to that. I thought about it earlier. We hear that a lot. Triphasic training is just tempo training that at different points of the training program, we spend super attention uh, to a specific part of the movement, whether it be isometric, eccentric, yep. or concentric. Certainly something that you can uh, employ. I think just always having in mind the understanding that there are some potential risks and understanding what you can actually get out of eccentric training. Everybody always associates hypertrophy. The benefit there is actually probably very, very small. Okay. So then let's close with this because I think you've done a good job. Um, I hope so because this feels like we're all <laughs> over the map. Of, of talking, you know, you got the benefits of it. You got the risks, not risks, but things to be mindful considerations, of. Yep. Considerations of. So, you know, what's the... <laughs> Who should do it when and how? Yeah. And then we won't, uh, that could be a whole second episode. I think like maybe let's do it in the eyes. And I, you already touched on it a little bit with some of the, you know, more advanced, the super maximal loading or things like that. Like in our general scope audience, mm -hmm. a coach is listening to this. He's saying like, I'm looking at, you know, my high school kids, some of them just getting weight on the bar. Some of them. Are, are kind of progressing along. Some of them are what you described, that kind of senior, junior, that's really kind of got it figured out, whoever it may be. That group is here, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to my point, I promise. Th do I need, like you just talked about, to think about maybe injecting some places for eccentric, or is there enough within the program like you just described, or you know, a general off-season program, or whatever it may be, that it's okay. Like I don't need to go out and look for like places to like jam it in or insert it in. Excellent challenge question. Okay. And I'm going to do my best. All right. Uh, and I, I would actually offer up this kind of in the moment response is that this week's worth of research would actually maybe motivate me to say that I think maybe even I would adjust what I think about who, what, when, why, and how for sure. eccentric. Um, and it might even direct some things that we do here. What I would say is that I think I've learned that it's not, and this is where I've always been, it's not an all or nothing. It's not a eccentric equals this, and it risks this, and it will only give you this. Yeah. Um, I think for the next level of athlete, it does already exist in every form you really need it to. Yep. If you are teaching movement and building capacity appropriately, then control of movement is our number one priority anyway. And yeah. we say that all the time. So if in your squats, you are already saying that our controlled descent is the goal, then that whole developmental program and developmental uh, philosophy already exists with your uh, inclusion of 
eccentrics, AKA, I think even more important is the deceleration concept within plyometrics. Yep. Uh, landing mechanics and ability. Yep. Um, we are, uh, you know, we already do it, but we're in, including more and more with things like snap downs and uh, other things that we're going to be filming and adding to our programs just to say, hey, you don't need to go crazy on eccentric training, but we're going to add elements of training that really take care of that eccentric piece. That's in the developmental phase. Then maybe it is, I've swung both ways that with truly experienced athletes that get it, that later on in their programming, using small injections of that eccentric training where you're going to go super maximal, AKA maybe we do a bench negative, um, every couple of weeks, uh, maybe two or three reps with assistance up five second negative at, um, you know, maybe 110% of their max. Yep. May, might actually go a long way with, with regards to strength sure. improvement. Now my, my, <coughs> my then summary though is I've trained athletes for a dozen years and spent many of them with no, call it literal or specific focus on eccentric, we've done just fine. And we're gonna pause here actually to wrap up the episode. We spent a few more minutes just chatting and kind of going back and forth, but really just summarized a, a longer episode here. So I'm gonna cut us off so we can kind of stop at that 45 minute mark. Thanks again for everyone who is listening. Again, this is just a really high level overview of eccentric training. There's a lot of ins and outs when we're talking about it and thinking about it for younger athletes considerations and kind of things to be looking for as well as for more advanced athletes. So there's a lot to take in. Uh, please reach out to us with any questions for coach Brez in particular, or anyone here at platform. We're always happy to get back to you and chat. That's at pltforum.com. Thanks again. And remember at platform, it's always in pursuit of better.